Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. My message today is Paul, our pattern. Paul, our pattern. We are taking a little break this week from our How to Study the Bible. Laura and I are leaving for vacation this afternoon after the morning service. We're driving out to Colorado, and uh, I thought that I would leave you with, um, you'll see. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Please help us as we study it today. You're so good to us. You don't leave us without a pattern. And you've given that to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the writings of the Apostle Paul. Father, help us to see some of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. The Bible says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. This is what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Look at chapter 11 in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So, in these church epistles, and they're called church epistles, an epistle is not an apostle's wife. An epistle is a letter that is so funny. That joke has been around forever, but it still hits. Um, an epistle is a letter, and the church epistles are Paul's letters to churches. And so for us, in what we identify as the church age, the, this is really where we get our instruction. How are we to function as a church? And so in these letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written through the pen of the Apostle Paul, we have some instruction. And God gave us this apostle in these words to know how we are to behave in the house of God. So look with me at 1 Timothy Chapter 3. So 1 Corinthians is a church epistle. 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. So in this pastoral epistle, God is using the Apostle Paul to write to Timothy about how to be a pastor and what a pastor is to do. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So Paul wanted to come and see Timothy. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So this is written so that we know how to behave. So what, what God gave us was the Apostle Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul's example, and then the Apostle Paul's instruction to churches. And so in this message, I want us to see how Paul is our pattern. And there are some things that we need to learn from Paul's example in the first chapter of 1 Timothy. So look at verse 12. Verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me 
into the ministry. The first thing that I want you to see is Paul's change. Paul's change. Look at the next verse. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. So now God has enabled him. He's counted him faithful and he has put him into the ministry. So here's Paul's example for us. God will change us so that we can become useful for the ministry. You know, there are a lot of Christians. I'm going to hear saved. You know, the Lord has saved you. And even after we are saved, and I'm going to talk about what that means here in a minute. Even after that we are saved, there are many of us who think that because of our past, we're not worthy to serve God in the ministry. What we need to understand is we don't put ourselves in the ministry. God does that for us. God does that. So the first thing that I want you to see is Paul's change. Paul was a blasphemer. What is a blasphemer? That's someone who speaks something against God. You know, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul was a very religious man. As a matter of fact, he was as religious as you can get. As touching the law, blameless, he said. He was a Pharisee. He had learned at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of his day. The Apostle Paul, I would venture to guess, would have had the entire Old Testament committed to memory. And yet he was a blasphemer. Why was he a blasphemer? How can you be religious and a blasphemer when your religion doesn't come under the submission and the authority of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the living word. So when he brought railing accusations, when he was hauling men and women to prison, when he was holding the coats as Stephen was being stoned to death, when he was persecuting believers, that was blasphemy. Remember what Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou not the church? Jesus said, why persecutest thou me? Because when you touch the church, you're touching Jesus. Why? Because every saved person is in the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul had to have a change. Now, what was the change? Did he stop being a persecutor? Yes. Did he stop being a blasphemer? Yes. Did he stop being injurious? Did he stop hurting people? Yes. But is that what, is that what caused the change or are those the results of the change? How was he changed? So Paul's change, it's really important, but more than anything, it's important for us to see how that change came to pass. Let's read on. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 8, it says, but the fearful and unbelieving and idolaters and whoremongers and sorcerers. Isn't it interesting that God puts unbelievers and whoremongers in the same category? Because here's what we think. Man, I've not done anything that bad. 
I've not persecuted people. I've not knowingly blasphemed against God. I've not been, been intentionally injurious to other people. But have you believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's very interesting. If you believe that your good works are equal in importance to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation, do you know what you are? You're an unbeliever. Listen, you are a blasphemer. Why is that blasphemy? Because what you're saying is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice is not enough. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. What did Paul obtain in that verse? He obtained what? Mercy. The only way we can get saved is by the mercy of God, not by changing our life. It's vital that we see that. That unbelief is the same thing as blasphemy. Unbelief is the same thing as being a whoremonger. You say, but wait a minute. I believe in God. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. But do you believe that it's enough? Do you believe that God needs your help for salvation? You see, if you think God needs you for anything, that's blasphemy. Because one of the things that we're going to see in our text is that God is eternal. He is self-sustaining. He is in need of nothing. He is all self-sufficient. He needs nothing. What does he do, though? He gives mercy. And he gives grace. Why? Because we need mercy. We need grace. He needs nothing. When I say God needs me to cooperate with him in salvation... That's when I say that he's not enough. That is blasphemy. That's the same thing as unbelief. And what does the Bible say that blasphemers and unbelievers get? But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Whether you're a blasphemer, an idolater, a liar, or just an unbeliever who you, you do not believe because you are afraid, the fearful. And unbelieving. Man, my church told me this. My parents told me this. If you don't believe God because of your fear, then you still get that lake of fire. The change happened because of Paul's conversion. And how did that happen? Let's look at our text. Verse 13 again. Who was before... This is this change, a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the love comes from God. How do we love? Because God first loved us. That's what the Bible says in 1 John. The grace is that gift that God gives us. Okay, you know where we're going. Evan, come on up here. I mean, Ethan. I didn't even do it on purpose that time. Okay, Ethan, I'm going to make this. Is that nice? It's very nice. Okay, I won't do it. I'm going to make this a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? That's grace. Grace is a gift. My grace is I'm giving you that gift. Now, in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Why did you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Thank you. 
Ethan. Do y'all get that? Grace is a gift. You cannot earn a gift. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, you've probably done that 7,327 times. Do you know why I do it again? Because there, every, every time I stand up here to speak, there, there will be someone in this room who thinks, yes, I believe, but I also have to work. Salvation is mercy, not getting what you do deserve. And grace, getting something that you don't deserve and you can never earn. And the Apostle Paul said that happened because of the love of Jesus and faith in him. Faith that his death, burial, and resurrection, faith that he is God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life that I couldn't live, and that he died on a cross that I deserved so that I can have eternal life. And if I believe that, if I have faith that that sacrifice is enough, that's how I receive salvation. That's the conversion. And that's what changed Paul. That mercy that he received, the grace that he accepted, that is what changed him. And that was the change that made him worthy of being placed in the ministry. If you have asked Jesus Christ to save you, if you have believed that what he has done is enough, then he has a job for you. He has a job for you. And he will change you. That's what sanctification is. That's where he makes us more and more like himself. So Paul's change and Paul's conversion, well, let's, let's look at how that happened. Look at verse 14 again. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. That's more than he could ever need. With faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I love verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation. Okay, what does all mean? That means all of you need to accept it. It's worthy of all of you accepting it. Worthy of all acceptation. Let's all accept it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. If we could save ourselves, he didn't need to come. For a righteous man, there was no reason to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. How many of you are glad that while you're a sinner, he died for you? He didn't wait for you to get good. You didn't change first. You don't get cleaned up to take a bath. You take the bath to get cleaned up. Salvation is what cleans you. The blood of Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now look at this. Of whom I am chief. Conversion. Conversion. Here's our problem. Here's what we think. You know, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as Sam. And honestly, no one is. (laughs) I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as Sam. That's why the Bible says, and some are of the number, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. How many of you know people that you would honestly say, yeah, they're probably better than me? Right? How many of you know people and you'd say, you know what? I'm not as bad as them. We all do. I'm not nearly as bad as Patrick. I mean, look at us. 
How many of you would say that's not wise? Right? That's not wise. But here's the attitude. Paul, let me just say something. You say, it's in the Bible, it must be true. That was Paul's opinion of himself. Paul's not the worst sinner that ever lived. How many of you think maybe Hitler was worse than Paul? You think? How many of you think Nancy Pelosi is worse? Okay, different, different. (laughs) Fauci? But the attitude is, I'm the chiefest of sinners. As I stand before God, when I compare myself to Sam, I'm pretty good. When I compare myself to Jesus, now I've got a big problem. Paul only saw Jesus. Remember? He saw Jesus so well that it blinded him. Lord, when he saw Jesus, his own sinfulness became very real to him. Our problem is because we're religious that we think we're not quite that bad. And we never really compare ourselves to Jesus. We compare ourselves to everyone else. True conversion happens when you come before Jesus and you say, I have nothing. There's nothing that I have to offer you for my salvation. I am completely sinful. I deserve hell. Please, Jesus, forgive me. I am the chiefest of sinners. That's conversion. That's conversion. You say, Pastor, that's not what I understood when I got saved. Here's the thing that I want to make sure that we understand. You don't have to know every point of theology to be saved. How many of you are thankful for that? How many of you came to Christ kind of as a child, just so innocently, and Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Praise God for that. As believers, though, we need to understand what the Bible says about us. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. Man is altogether sinful. We have to understand, that's not, that's not them out there, that's me. That's why I need grace. That's why I need mercy. So Paul's change was the result of Paul's conversion. It's vital that we understand the theological import of that. Now look at what it says in verse 16. I love this. Paul's confession. Paul's change, Paul's conversion, Paul's confession. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul's saying, if I, the chiefest of sinners, can get saved, you can get saved. If I can get saved, you can get saved. Hallelujah. Man, I'm so thankful that I'm saved. Here in a little while, we're going to baptize. We're going to go into the water, and we're going to make have a picture of the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say baptism is just immersion. Well, only if you want to die. Right? How many of you are glad he rose from the dead? Those of you I'm going to baptize here in a minute, how many of you are glad I'm going to bring you back up? All right? The resurrection is vital. So we're going to baptize here in a minute. That's a picture of what Jesus did. It's a testimony that you're identifying with Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, but you're also identifying with this church and this church's doctrine. That's what baptism is. 
It's so important, but none of that has anything to do with you getting saved. Salvation is that gift that you receive. All right? So now, look at what it says. Verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. What does it say? To what? Life everlasting. It's forever. Are you one of those once saved, always saved people? Yes! Hallelujah! I am so glad! And here's why people struggle with that. The best answer to someone who says, well, I'm not sure about once saved, always saved. What I would say is, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? Oh, really? So you think that you are good enough to keep it. You think that, that so, so those of you who say, well, I, I just, I'm just not sure that, that once you're saved, that you're saved forever. If you do this, this, or that, then, then I don't know. Well, the Bible says that unbelief and fear is the same as whoremonger and idolater as far as the result of it. Is that what right? How are you doing? You ever have unbelief? You ever have fear? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a preacher. Listen, I'm attempting. This is my poor attempt at it. I've studied the Bible. I know a little bit about it. And yet there are still times when I have unbelief. There are still times when I have fear. I'm sure there have been times when I've spoken things that I say God said and he didn't say. That's blasphemy. I am so thankful that my salvation is not based on me. That my salvation is based on him. And it is forever. It's forever. I'm saved forever. It's not about me. It's about him. I just get the result. Life everlasting. Now, look at his confession. I love this in verse 17. Now, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, how many of you think that he understood that's who Jesus was immediately when he got saved? No. He had to learn some things. What you have is the baby Christian and then the mature believer. You know, the baby Christian is in uh, junior church and they're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that awesome? How many of you are thankful that Jesus loves you and you know it because the Bible told you? Man, if that's all anybody ever gets... Praise God. Praise God. But how many of you think God wants us to know him better than that? Who do we need to know? The king eternal. Here's why the king eternal is so important. Eternal is outside of time. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that our light affliction, which is but for a little, what's the next word? Time. But for a little time, God's outside of time. And here's the thing. I don't want to diminish the suffering that you are in right now. I know what some of you are going through right now. I don't know what some of you others are going through. But I know that many of you are in affliction. You're in trouble. You're in suffering. You've had a terrible loss. I think about Amber Blackford's dad passing away this week suddenly. That Carla is hurting She's hurting, I'm sure. That is genuine affliction. Would you all agree with that? That is, we, we will never diminish 
that pain. It's true. It's real. It's not sinful. But we sorrow not as others which have no hope because we have hope of the resurrection. I'm glad that Rick was born again. And yet, they're in that trouble right now. Some of you, I don't want to bring it up what you're going through. You're in trouble right now. But here's what you need to praise. The King eternal. Because your trouble won't last forever. The King will. My salvation is in Him. My hope is in Him. My worship is of Him, the great God. I was watching an interaction this week that came through my YouTube feed of Christopher Hitchens debating uh, John Lennox. And Christopher Hitchens, he wrote a book called God is Not Great. And he lists all of this blasphemous stuff about God and all the suffering that's in the world and how inept God is because there's suffering in the world. See, the problem that Hitchens had, he doesn't have it anymore because he's gone to meet him now. The problem that Hitchens has is he is bound up in time. What he doesn't realize is that that creator entered into time and entered into space and became a man and suffered as no man has ever suffered. He bore the weight. He bore the sin. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That God entered into the world. He experienced the suffering, and he experienced the pain. And yet you'll have someone say, well, if God's so powerful, why doesn't he just stop it? Somehow you think that you have more wisdom than God. Why? Because you don't understand that he's the king eternal. And that there's going to come a time when we are outside of time. When Jesus Christ has returned, and the Bible says, and time is no more, when we're going to understand. And we're going to know. But right now, see the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the King Eternal, this is the man that's being stoned. He's being beaten with rods. He's being days in the, in the ocean, about to drown. That, that's the man who's praising the King Eternal. Why? Because this trouble cannot last forever, but God will. To the king eternal. Listen, that doesn't diminish the trouble that you're in right now. That doesn't diminish the suffering. But when you have an eternal perspective, it, lists some, it lifts some of the weight. This cannot go on forever because we have joy, we have hope, we have the promise of an eternity with Almighty God. Praise God for that. To the king eternal. Now, look at what it says. Verse 17. Now, unto the king eternal. How about immortal? What does that mean, immortal? Didn't Jesus take on flesh and bones? Yeah, but he existed before he took on flesh and bones. What is the immortal? The immortal is that he cannot be corrupted. That this, this mortal shall put on immortality. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why? Because Jesus Christ conquered death. Our mortality is our death. You say, well, Jesus died. Yes, but he rose from the dead. He conquered it. 
he conquered it. And the immortal is vital. It doesn't have to do with his ability to die. God cannot die. The body could. That was the purpose of the body. That's why God made Jesus Christ's body. Hebrews chapter 10. A body hast thou prepared me. Why? Because in the, in the, the blood of bulls and goats, you are not satisfied. So the body of his precious son, so that he could die for you and for me, he paid that price, but even that body was immortal. What does that mean? He could not suffer corruption. That's what the, that's what the psalmist said. Thou will not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer my body to see corruption. He's immortal. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he ever lives to make intercession for his saints. He lives forever. He is immortal. He cannot sin. There's no corruption there. And if you are saved, you've placed your faith and trust in him alone. If you've had that conversion that has led to the change, now you have the confession. And what is that confession? That he is perfect and I am in him. And what does he make me? Perfect. Perfect and sinless. Look at what it says. Verse 17. Now unto the king. I love that now. I want to mark that. Now unto the king eternal immortal, invisible, invisible, God's a spirit. You can't see a spirit. Jesus, show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But even that, Jesus Christ, remember when they were, he, he had said, he had preached the gospel to him, and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And that was blasphemy to them because the scripture was that he was the Messiah and that he's God. And so what did they want to do? They took him out to a cliff and they were going to push him off the cliff and kill him. And what did Jesus do? He made himself invisible. They couldn't see him. One of my commentators said, now I don't know that this is a miracle. Yeah, here, here's what Jesus did. They're about to kill him. You ever watch a TV show and they're sneaking in? Like that helps. Invisible. Invisible. But there's more important than just whether or not you can see him. Listen. Faith. Based on what you can see. It's not faith. It's not faith. Now, none of us have seen Jesus. How many of you believe in him? Amen. We worship him. We worship him. He's coming back. I can't wait until I can see him. I love it that Fanny Crosby, the blind hymn writer, and she wrote about seeing him. The first thing she'll ever see is the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. The What's that next word? The what? Only wise God. You see, we make gods of all kinds of things. We make gods of teachers. We make gods of scholars. We make gods of books. We make gods of churches, we make gods of institutions, we make gods of politicians, we make gods of athletes, we make gods of movie stars. There's only one wise God. The only one, we need to trust him. Now look at what it says, be honor and glory for how long? Forever and ever, amen. Man, I love it. Paul's change, Paul's conversion, Paul's confession. This is our model. And then look at Paul's charge. Verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, 
That thou mightest, what does it say? That, that thou by them mightest, what does it say? War, a good warfare. See, he didn't call you to just sit in splendor. He called you to fight. Man, this world is going to get worse and worse. And it's happened. I, I can't believe in the last two years how much the world has changed. How it's obvious that persecution is coming. And that we're going to be in a warfare, a spiritual warfare. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical. But they're spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. We're in a spiritual battle. And we have to understand that God has placed us in the ministry based on Paul's pattern that we have a change that comes from a conversion. If we believe our confession, now we've got to stand. And that stand is not going to be easy. It's going to be war. And how are we going to war? It needs to be a good warfare. Look at what it says. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Look, holding guns. What's it say? Okay, that was weak. If it was guns, y'all would have been a lot louder. <laughs> holding what? How many of you honestly, faith has become difficult lately? Holding faith and a good conscience. A good conscience. The government's probably going to be asking you to do some stuff that would violate your conscience. You can't do it. You can't do it. How many of you know that's coming? You can't do it. What are you going to have to do? You have to war a good warfare. Look at what it says. Holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning, what does it say? Concerning what? Have made shipwreck. Oh, and then Paul names them. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to what? Oh, very interesting. What did they give up? What did they give up? Okay, a few of you got it. What did they give up? Okay, everyone, what did they give up? And since they gave up their faith, what did they have to learn not to do? Okay, a few of you got it. What is it? Okay, so they gave up what? And since they gave up their faith, what were they doing? You know what's going to happen? We're going to be confronted with having to make choices that will violate our conscience, that will violate what the Word of God says. We're going to have to war a good warfare. We're going to have to stand for the truth. We're going to have to have right doctrine. And what's interesting, we're going to have to call out people who don't have faith and who blaspheme. And obviously, that's not what Christianity likes. But those Christians who don't want to take the stand, what are they doing? They're blaspheming. Oh, wait a minute, let me think. But the fearful and unbelieving what was Paul? Paul was unbelieving and a blasphemer and a persecutor. Do you know how many Christians are going to persecute other Christians? Because they don't have faith in what God said. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we need to change. Just as Paul changed, my first response is to fight physically. That's... That, that comes up in me. I'm ready to go. 
I know that really scares you all when I, when I do this. That, that I'm ready to go. That's, that's my first response. But my first response doesn't need to be fight. My first response needs to be faith. When my first response is faith, then I know how to war a good warfare. Amen? And what gives me my balance in that? Because I've got to bring honor and glory to the king eternal, immortal, right? The king eternal, immortal, the only wise God. Which one did I leave out? Oh, see, we have to believe, like the Bible says in Hebrews, as seeing him, which is invisible. Got to trust him. We have to believe him. And those decisions have to be made now. So what have we learned? Paul changed. The change was based on his conversion. After he was conversion, he gained a confession. And that confession caused him to give a charge. What are we to do? We're to change based on our conversion. Our change doesn't convert us. Amen? Our conversion changes us. We have to change based on our conversion. We have to develop a confession. What do you really believe? If someone came to you and said, why can't you, why are you standing against this? Can you give sound biblical reasons? If you can't, it's time to learn more. Amen? Got to have faith. We've got to have faith. And then we have to charge others and then hold others accountable. Hold others accountable. Like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who Paul turned over to Satan that they would learn not to blaspheme. How did Paul turn them over to Satan? That's what church discipline is. Set them outside of the body. You can't have fellowship with the church. You can't take the Lord's Supper. You're no longer a member of the church. You're going to bear in your body the result of your sin. What was their sin? Blasphemy. Folks, we need to trust God, not government. Amen? We need to trust God, not money. We need to trust God, not institutions. And we get all of that from his word. So let's all stand together. And I want us to read out loud verse 17. Ready? Now, unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you that, that you changed Paul and put him in the ministry, that you converted him.